0: and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Our guest today combines her unique backgrounds in mythology, psychology, and education to challenge hidden preconceptions and help individuals, couples, and birth professionals prepare for life's most important transitions with a fresh, transformative approach. Although she's based in Southern California, her work and wisdom are now available to the masses through Transformed by Birth, a new book about cultivating openness, strength, and resilience for the life-changing journey from pregnancy to parenthood. Dr. Britta Bushnell, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You had a baby. Indeed. And what a labor it was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It always is a book. I mean, people who've written a book and had a baby in the same year talk about the parallels.
1: Yes. I feel like I used so many of the metaphors and mythology that I use to talk about the journey of going through pregnancy, birth, and new parenthood with myself through the process of writing and publishing this book.
0: Just idea light bulb popped off in my head that after all the years you've spent helping people through childbirth education, you can now help authors With child book education.
1: <laughs> child book education. <laughs> yes. yes. You can Probably be a book not educator. what I'm gonna spend my time right, and energy look, doing, but yes. It's an idea in case you get bored. All
0: yes. right. Let's uh, let's remind people that we have an episode that's roughly named Mythologies, Metaphors, and Childbirth. It is one of our most popular episodes, both in terms of downloads and in terms of feedback. When people listen to it, they give us strong feedback about how Your perspective and approach and tools that you provide in that episode really give them confidence before they go into labor, just things Mm -hmm. that they can hold on to and confidence before they go into labor. I think that most people in my observation experience some combination of anxiousness and excitement before they have a baby, especially the first. And the feedback is that your style, your information, your materials push them into more excited, less anxious.
1: Hmm. Well, that's very gratifying to hear because my purpose in my work is all of those things that you just mentioned that it helps with. Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. You can retire off
0: to someplace. Wonderful
1: right. to know. Should I don't feel like I'm retiring. All right, good. Quite the opposite. Lucky for but, us. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy working with couples and with parents as they go through that rite of passage into parenthood. And I think it's a big change. It's a big transition, and I want to support them. I want to help them.
0: It's a huge transition, and I know you're supporting them. And locally, people have had access to you. They can take your classes. Everybody who I know that takes your class, really with no exceptions, comes back transformed, totally like an experience that they can't even put into words. All they could say is it should have been sponsored by Kleenex. (laughs) (laughs) whatever not because they're sneezing but because they're crying their eyes out whatever it is that you're doing in there you are like bringing stuff out that has been locked and buried for years and just what an amazing time to do that before going to this new chapter
1: yeah well emotion is an important lubricant for birth and we need to release it if we hold emotion back we're actually closing and For labor and birth to be effective, we have to open. And that sometimes includes letting go of pent-up emotion. Mm. And so, yeah, there tends to be some tears that release and some joy that's expressed and some deep connection between partners. And it's really unbelievably beautiful to witness and to get to hold space for.
0: Yeah. When they come out and talk about it that way, I'm like, why do you have to have a baby to have that class? I want that class.
1: I know. It's actually the work that I'm really called to do is deep, transformative work. It's just that people come and pay for a childbirth class, and then I get to do that work. Mm-hmm. I'm less—I mean, I my children are now in college and older, and— I'm not really drawn to birth from like a birth and babies perspective. I'm really drawn to work in birth because of the openness to transformation that parents feel as they stand perched on the edge of that big rite of passage. So I get excited because I feel like Childbirth classes give an opportunity to get some of the life skills and the transformation skills that we don't get just generally in our lives. I mean, people often leave my classes saying this was life 101, not just childbirth classes.
0: Right. And your book is called Transformed by Birth. But I feel like it could easily just be called Transformed by Britta.
1: It's transformed by life. It's transformed by big events and i have two other books kind of waiting in the wings Ooh. in my mind we'll see we'll see but
0: twins on the horizon <laughs> it, well yeah twins on the horizon exactly
1: <laughs> i'm not sure i can birth twins right now but we'll we'll see i mean because i really do feel like these big events change us and to have something to hold us through that transformation through that transit into a new part of our lives is helpful and a lot of the cultural ideals that i talk about in part 2 of transformed by birth are really applicable across a lot of areas in our life so We'll see. I mean I have a Transformed by Parenthood Mm -hmm. book perhaps in my head. Absolutely. And my husband and I have talked about a Transformed by Relationship book co authoring that.
0: Together? Together. He's an
1: author as well.
0: So kidding. Yeah.
1: He wrote a book about money, so it's a very different
0: Different field. I do not see it transformed by cash. Yeah. Well, his was
1: (laughs) it's not about the money, and it's it's really kind of a spiritual look at how we relate to our our money. So in some ways, there's similarities and some very big differences. You're very
0: descriptive. Even when you talk about standing on the perch, Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of heights, but my heart started beating faster. Mm -hmm. You have a way.
1: Yeah. Well, standing on that precipice, that heart beating faster is often how parents feel. Standing on the precipice, that edge of birth, knowing that big change is coming. Big change. And rather than pushing that aside and just saying, oh, you know, your body is made to birth or whatever kind of wrapped up statements to just make it seem easier, I think we should be honoring the fact that parents feel that transformative energy. They feel themselves on that precipice, and I want to honor that. I want to connect with them in that place and say, yeah, it's big, and you can do it. We need courage in the face of intensity, not just hopeful platitudes.
0: That's powerful, too. I want to get into a little bit more about the meat of your book and the structure of the book, but as a reminder, you kind of have a rich background where this is all drawing from.
1: I do. I have kind of an interesting path that led me here, and it's connected between being a prenatal yoga instructor back 20 years ago. I can't even believe it was 20 years ago, but it was 20 years ago. And that led me into childbirth, teaching childbirth education classes with Birthing From Within, Mm -hmm. which led me to be a partner and co-owner of Birthing From Within for several years, as well as a trainer for them. And then after I finished with Birthing From Within, I decided that mythology was really a direction I wanted to keep going with, because that's peppered into the birthing from within approach. But I was like, that really inspires me. So I went and got a PhD in mythology. And then I ended up writing my dissertation for my doctorate about childbirth and cultural ideals or cultural myths that we tell ourselves that impact how we give birth, which ended up really being the research phase of this book.
0: Mm. I love how you say, yeah, and then I really got into the mythology part, so I got a PhD in mythology, as if it was like, yeah, I was kind of hungry, so I got a pizza.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had to be really hungry because (laughs) (laughs) it was a six-year journey, and I actually ate a lot of pizza.
0: During oh say oh, so?
1: yeah especially during dissertation writing oh, phase
0: yeah. I find eating a lot of pizza to be transformative. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in its own I way. did
1: a lot of solo time and I find that when I'm by myself while I'm writing a pizza it just fits the bill. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I can relate. All right, so we're going to get into the meteor book in just a moment. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. We are talking to Dr. Britta Bushnell, author of the book, Transformed by Birth. So the book's broken down into three parts, preparing for the journey, cultural ideals, and on the other side. What's roughly going on in each part?
1: So part one is, is setting up the book. It's the introduction, it's chapter one, and it's speaking about... What is it you need to know to really get what it is I'm talking about in the book? One of the things that I talk about is storytelling. Like, why have a PhD in mythology and talk about childbirth? Like, how do those make sense?
0: What's the connection?
1: What's the connection? And why does it matter? I teach in my book and in my classes a lot through storytelling. But there's reason for that. There's method behind that. And I, in part one, talk about why that is and how the brain actually, in labor especially, is able to retrieve information that has been received through imagery and storytelling. And then there's also a lot of research that says that if you've been marinating in a particular hormone and then you're later in that same state, you're going to have better recall of what you learned. Hmm. And storytelling, guess what hormone, is released when you receive story. I'm
0: going to say oxytocin. You got it. Wow. Gold star for Gold me. star for, <laughs>
1: for Dr. Berlin. Yeah. yeah. And so when you have a state where your body is releasing oxytocin and then later you're in labor and you've got oxytocin going and your rational, your linear brain is more subdued The part of the brain that is more active is the more ancient part, the part that connects to storytelling. And so writing and teaching through story is accessible when you're in the hormonally saturated brain of labor.
0: I think because on the surface, it sounds like you said, what's the connection? Like, Why do I need metaphors or mythology? And mythology sounds like something you have to learn in college or if you want to do well on jeopardy, Uh, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it's just story. It's just creating imagery that your brain can attach to and can remember.
0: And also, I mean, my observation is a picture is worth a million words, right? So I can sometimes say something with a lot of words and try to describe it, but then all of a sudden, if I can create a little picture, whoa, now I get it. This happened recently where I was trying to help somebody understand that a birth plan she was like, should I have a birth plan? I don't have a birth plan. I don't want to make a birth plan and then fail. And then on the other side of things, I don't want to not have a plan at all. And so just in the moment, this is what popped into my head. I was like, look, there's a million ways to get from point A to point B. Point A is healthy woman with healthy baby inside. That's what you're going to be. Point B is healthy woman with a healthy baby on the outside. There's a lot of ways to get from point A to point B. There's a million different roads you can take to get there, but each road has different pros and cons to it. Some people like the fastest route. Some people like the most scenic route. I always make sure to pass by a Krispy Kreme donut on my route. So you have to kind of pick what's important to you, and to the extent that you can, you kind of want to steer on that route. Now, if you're driving down that path and there's a detour, you may have to take a different route, which is okay. There's a lot of great routes to get from point A to point B. Yes. And what popped into my head was the image of steering that vehicle is a little bit more like steering a hot air balloon hmm. than a car. Yes. And I don't know why that came out, but as <laughs> soon as I said it, she was like, that makes sense to me. So somehow that picture, even though I've never been in a hot air balloon,
1: yeah,
0: that picture kind of came to me and I was able to give it over to her, and just that was enough. I could have just said that from the beginning and saved a lot of words.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that birth plans – as a tool for education and as a tool for communication with providers to make sure that what you are hungry for, I kind of like to use it as a menu metaphor, that you want to find out what is on the menu where you want to give birth. Hmm. What's on the regular menu, not what are specials. <laughs> okay, right. Because on the day you go into labor, You don't know if that special is going to be available. So you want to make sure that what you're hungry for is available. On the everyday menu. On the everyday menu. Now, once you're there... You know, they might be out of cilantro or the black beans might not be done and they have to replace those with something else. But you want to know that what you're interested in, what you're hungry for in labor is on the regular menu where you intend to give birth and with whom you wish to be supported Mm -hmm. for that birth. Then you have to also be able to flow with the unexpected, to be open to the unbidden is the term that I like to use. Mm. That means, yeah, there are sometimes situations where you don't get to control all things in birth. Now, control and consent are two different things, and we have to tease those apart because consent is something that is incredibly important and should be valued. But control in this culture is really about that I'm driving the car and I'm going to drive it in this particular way But sometimes there's traffic. It's like, what do you do when there's traffic? You might have to take a detour. You you can map out your path or get in an air balloon, but you have to be available for the fact that sometimes the unexpected happens. Sure. And how do you keep going even when the unexpected happens?
0: I like the menu analogy. Except for the air balloon, pretty much every one of my analogies is food-based. So that <laughs> so fits. now I'm speaking in your language. You're in my language. Now, I get I'm it.
1: in your your wheelhouse there. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Even in the air balloon, we're eating. We're having a buffet with some champagne.
1: Absolutely. Sure.
0: I saw a map somewhere, and it was helpful when I was teaching male partners, in particular, trying to get them to understand dilation in centimeters. You know, that one is like a Cheerio, three is around a Ritz cracker, seven kind of like the diameter of a can of beer, and ten is like a bagel. And then my kids would call me sometimes at a birth, and they'd be like, Dad, are you coming home soon? I'm like, yeah, we're between the Ritz cracker and the beer. Yeah. <laughs> and they knew exactly so what I So <clears throat> you're exactly. giving visuals. You're visuals. And as yeah. we hit transition, I'm so hungry for carbs. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, yes, back to pizza.
0: Back to pizza. <laughs> Seven-centimeter stretch.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so part one, preparing for the journey, then, is all the tools. and.
1: Yeah, yeah it's explaining – how it is that the book can be useful, and then it also goes into what do you need to do to take inventory of where you are already. One of the things that I sometimes think is missed in modern birth culture is acknowledging what parents already know, acknowledging the experiences that they've had coming into pregnancy and birth, whether it's pregnancy loss or infertility challenges, or were they raised with a parent who delivered babies or was a doula? Uh, were their siblings born and they were there? These types of experiences impact how we feel and prepare about birth.
0: Would it be even not so personal, just experiences in terms of seeing things on television and movies or hearing people tell their birth stories? Absolutely. So there's a lot of that going on.
1: So chapter two is really about unpacking that, looking at what are we coming into this experience already holding, already experiencing. For
0: some people, it'll be a previous birth experience.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And then Part 2 of the book is looking at the eight cultural ideals that I identify and I have to tell you that I probably could have made 15 but I had to <laughs> I had a... to consolidate. Mm. So I looked at 8, just 8. And the way that the ideal is reached for for like for example the first one that I look at is the illusion of control and certainty. And instead of holding out for how do I control and how do I make certain that my birth goes a particular way. It's how can we open to the unexpected, open to the unbidden. And here's why I think that's important. It's not just about birth. Birth is the rite of passage that most often leads us into parenthood. And parenthood is full of experiences of being out of control, and having a lack of certainty. We need to expand our capacity to be in wonder, to be in the mystery of not knowing. And so in chapter three, the first chapter of the second part, I really talk about how do we begin to expand our expectations rather than narrowing them into a single direction that birth absolutely has to follow. that's kind of an example of one of the ideals. And then I go into seven more.
0: I mean, that is probably just by itself one of the most powerful things about childbirth is that I think some people don't care that much. They just want a healthy baby. And so it's sort of like I'll pick a doctor or a midwife who I trust and whatever they tell me to do, I'm just going to do that. And not really be that involved in decision-making and and setting the course through which we go. And for a lot of people, that works fine. That's great. Mm -hmm. But then I think a lot of people want to be a little bit more proactive, more involved, more of the decision-maker or at least being co-decision-making with their providers. But they sometimes end up in this path where it's sort of like, you know, even for planning for a wedding, you do all the planning, lots of details. And then on the day of, you just have to take a deep breath, relax, and go with the flow. Absolutely. And so the illusion, that's really sticking in my head as a very powerful term because it could get lost. Yes. The illusion of control. Yes.
1: It's the illusion of control.
0: And and the need for
1: certainty.
0: And the need for certainty. And it is an illusion. So what's really striking me is how powerful that is for everything in life. We don't really control that many things in life. Even when I'm driving my car, I think I'm in control. Right. But I cannot control the cars around me. I cannot control a lot of things about the road, you know, for example. But I feel confident somehow, and it's just occurring to me now that that is an illusion of control. I think I'm in control. Right. I don't love airplanes, but I think part of that is because there is no illusion of control. I know I'm not in control, and I don't even believe that my seat cushion floats. So... (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm with you there. I'm not not a huge fan of flying, although you wouldn't know it with my travel schedule. No, yeah. (laughs) Constantly on the go. But yeah, I think that we are steeped in a culture that values the illusion of control and says, yes, we have to control and things are controllable. And then we get in airplanes and we go, I'm not in control. How do I do with this?
0: Right. We're, I'm thirty mm-hmm. 35,000 feet above the earth in right. a metal capsule upon which I have no control whatsoever. No control. All, I mean, I do have control. I can order that little tiny bottle of scotch and hope for the best, but that's about it.
1: Right. So and, and so it's how do we begin to hold ourselves in the space? So each of the ideals that I name and that I lay out, I talk about what the balancing side is that's needed to help meet that ideal that can throw us off. And so with the desire for control and the illusion for control, what the balancing energy is an openness to the unbidden. And this is a term that comes from a theologian, William F. May. And when I read this quote, it just stopped me in my tracks. I found it so powerful, the idea of being open to the unbidden and that parenthood tests that on a daily basis.
0: OK. Pause for a second. Yes. This is big and powerful. So much is going off inside me right now, and I'm not about to have a kid, but I do have four kids. Um, Yes, you do. (laughs) Yeah. This is going to be an explosive third segment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Parenting and Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Dr. Britta Bushnell. And my life is being transformed right here on the podcast okay. because we got to talk about the unbidden. But before we get there, what I'm realizing is all the things in life that I'm afraid of, I have, you know, like, Jewy anxiety. All the things that I'm anxious about, I could say it because I'm Jewy. All the things that I'm anxious about, we even had a dog, by the way. We fostered a dog.
1: Yeah? Was he cute?
0: She? No, she oh. was by far the ugliest dog you ever met. But sweet, <laughs> big hearted dog, yeah. sadly I think had a checkered past and mm-hmm. um, there were some problems with her. Number one, you could never leave the house. She needed to be around people. And if you leave the house, she would like bust out of her crate and just tear up the house. And so the organization was like, Okay, she's gotta take this medication but We put it in peanut butter. Every little ounce of peanut butter was gone, but not the medication. She's so smart and so sweet, but just needed to be around people. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, she has severe separation anxiety. I'm like, okay, well, can we get a dog that's not Jewish? And they took her back because she needed to be around people. Mm -hmm. So they found a farm for her. She had a good life. She has a good life now. We can go visit her if we want to. So. There's this anxiety, this sense of anxiety. And for me, what it is, is I feel like, well, what if? What if this happens or what if that happens? Like, I don't feel like I'm in control of this. But you just, like, blew the cap on it because I'm not really ever in control of stuff. right? And how come those what ifs are not preventing me from just driving to work? Right. You know?
1: Well, and that's what, when I work with parents, I want them to connect with is not just the desire to control things or that illusion of control, but the how do you keep going? So, how do you keep going when you feel out of control?
0: Yeah, how how do you do do that? How
1: do you do that? Well, I want people to explore it for themselves because I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. I mean, I think that there's a lot of ways we can build our resilience for facing the unknown. And one of the things that one of my teachers talks about is that the fear often is hungry for information. And so when we feel out of control, we go and try and we're hungry for information, so we go hunting for information. But then that leads us to my second ideal, which is the veneration of information and technology, the idea that actual answers exist that are universally true for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that's an illusion. That's another myth, another ideal that has false basis. And so what we need to meet that veneration of information and technology is to reconnect with wonder. And if you think about it, in today's culture that lives with cell phones in our back pocket, pretty much 24-7, Sure. We don't sit with wonder at all. If somebody at a dinner table says, you know, I wonder, what year was that concert that, you know, we went to? Do you remember? You're sitting around with old friends and you're trying to remember what year it was. You don't engage in the curious exploration. Somebody pulls out their phone. Hey, Siri. Yeah. Hmm. Somebody Googles it. Right. Somebody asks Look, we got
0: both. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, a <we>, couple hits <laughs> we <got everybody> there. <laughs> <covered>. mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't sit in that place of not knowing for very long, which I like to think is not just not knowing, but it's the place of curiosity. It's the place of wonder. And I think that's a really powerful place to develop the skill of settling in there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially in New Parenthood. Because concrete answers in parenthood, <laughs> they just don't
0: exist. That is true. But that seems to be like what all the information explosion is about. Here's what you should know. you got to know this. you got to know this. This is how it's going to be. And it's sort of interesting because when you compare and contrast to animals, there's this animal elephant birth on, um, I don't know if you've seen it on YouTube, called Risky Business. And she just off all by herself on this reserve in Bali. And they just go out and they see her giving birth so they film it and she is doing this dance and this movement and then she squats it looks like and she delivers this 275 pound baby. She gently kind of steps over it to turn around and the baby's not breathing so she does all this prenatal like uh, perinatal care like this uh, neonatal care really where she's using her trunk to sniff and kind of diagnose and she kicks the baby and the baby's still not breathing and eventually she she wraps her trunk around the baby's little trunk. She lifts the head up and (laughs) pulls on And all of a sudden, after that maneuver, the baby starts breathing. And the elephant literally smiles. She's super pleased and happy with herself. Okay, in my mind, I'm like, how does she even know there's a problem? And certainly, how does she know solutions? It looked like she did a chiropractic adjustment, but she didn't even go to chiropractic school. And and (laughs) Your chiropractor
1: brain came out, didn't
0: it? Yes. um, I mean, it's just incredible to watch how much she knows. And I'm thinking, wow, she doesn't even have a podcast to listen to. She didn't do childbirth education. She didn't take a class. She didn't read a book. How does that happen? And so on the one hand, I think people end up underprepared for birth, for parenting, for postpartum, for relationship after baby. And I think on the other hand, the solution that we're trying to do is like give you more information, more information, more information. But now when I hear you talking, it's sort of like.
1: Information is one piece of a many pieced puzzle. There's a lot of parts. And information is not synonymous with preparation. Just because we fill our brain full of information doesn't mean we're ready. Mm -hmm. And often what we need to really be ready for the rite of passage of birth and the journey into parenthood is being prepared to feel what it feels like to be a little out of control, to not know all the answers, You know, in this modern culture, we're used to having things well-organized and planned out and linear and organized. But birth and parenthood don't always work that way. Well, they're sloppy sometimes. They can get really (laughs) sloppy. And so I want people to know how to move forward in the sloppiness. How do they keep going even when they don't know what to do next? That, to me, is the big part of preparation.
0: But is it? Because it feels like if I'm looking at the elephant, her name is Risky, if I'm looking at Risky, she knows what to do next because it's hardwired inside her. She has very powerful instincts that tell her what to do next, even though she had no idea any of that was going to happen and no educational training on how to respond to it.
1: Right. We might have some of that information and some of those skills and some of that instinct inside of us. But instinct rarely sounds certain. When we have an instinctual impulse, it rarely is like, this is absolutely what you should do. It tends to be like, hey, have you (laughs) thought about? And if we aren't used to being a little bit in the place of not knowing, then when instinct starts to talk to us, we aren't well versed at listening. So we have to insert the pause rather than immediately going for a Google search or an internet search or a a Siri search or whatever it is to find answers. We have to pause and let ourselves go, huh, okay, what kind of information am I interested in? What am I hungry for? What is... Another food analogy for you there. Yeah, Where would the best place be for me to get the information that I'm needing right now? Would my mom be a good person to reach out to? How about my friend who just had two kids? What about my doctor? Or is an internet search the best choice? Or is that book that is sitting on my shelf that I haven't cracked open yet? Mm -hmm. Is that a place? And if we take a moment and we pause... I think that that gives us a moment to go, okay, huh, how do I feel? And we start to listen to our own inner wisdom, our own inner guide that sometimes is actually telling us we need more information Mm -hmm. or we need more practice or we need more strength. Then we can start hunting for that. The inner voice is asking for But very first thing we have to do is to give ourselves the ability to sit with uncertainty because the internal voice rarely sounds clear and definitive. It often just is a little fuzzier.
0: So maybe this is related. Maybe it isn't. An image is coming up of contrasting births, one where she kind of blew me away. We have an episode with her, too. It's called Miss America Home Birth or Miss USA Home Birth. I get them mixed up. I'm a horrible person. But... Her name's Shandy, and she had this incredible first birth experience with what appeared to be no fear. And I was like, where did you get that confidence? And the interesting thing was nobody really – she had a great midwife and a great doula, and her husband was incredible. She was most amazing, and uh, even her dog was like this little five-pound dog licking her face was so comforting. You could tell to her. The interesting thing is nobody really ever said anything in terms of do this now or – Even maybe like, maybe you want to do this now. It was just, she kind of seemed to be very in touch with her inner voice. She was reacting to it and it was guiding her and she was connected to it. In contrast to other types of birth where there's sometimes 10 voices, (laughs) even with pushing, just how to push and when to push and how many times to push in that minute and take the breath. And sometimes it just seems like if there wasn't so much cloudy noise from the outside, then if we had that pause then we would actually get instructions from the inside where there's so many more sensors. Like you said, there's no one size fits all. Everybody's a little different. So, right. so what position to get into or anything like that, none of us have the sensors. No matter how many births you've attended, witnessed, helped, facilitated, you don't have the sensors that she has inside. And if we are not able to give her that chance to pause and listen to the inner voice, then we might be doing more harm than good.
1: Yeah, and... For many, many birthing people, if they haven't practiced listening to that inner voice, you know, this this woman that you speak about, she might just be one of those people who always listens inside. So in labor, that was a natural place for her to be Mm -hmm. because she could just respond. But for a lot of us that live in what I call in my book, a very Apollonian society, which is a whole myth thing, which probably don't have time to go into, but it's where I compare and contrast the Greek gods Artemis and Apollo. And our culture is one that is very Apollonian, very linear, very directed, and we like schedules, we like time, all kinds of these things, but is less connected to the animal nature of our bodies. So if we haven't spent any time in that animal nature of our bodies, which is what I refer to as the Artemisian side, as she's the goddess of the wilderness, Mm. whereas Apollo is more the goddess of order and society and culture, that if we've completely marinated in Apollo's realm, we then when we're in Labor and we're more in that Artemesian place, we don't know how to listen to that animal side of us. So we have to practice ahead of time if we don't have an intuitive ability to do that naturally. And I agree with you that some people do. Some people, that's just a part of how they operate already. But I'm noticing even in the 20 years that I've been in this field that more and more people are in that Apollonian place, less connected to their animal side, more connected to their intellect, Mm -hmm. and less connected to that bodily response. And I think we need to be supporting that more animalistic connection that is that animal, that elephant That you described, that ability to kind of pause, drop in, feel into what the animal of our body wants. I'm grateful that we live in an Apollonian culture because that means in an Apollonian world, we have tools in birth that save lives. And birth itself is still a very wild, untamed process. Mm -hmm. So we need both. And for most of us, it's an imbalance. And we need more of what the wilderness, what that Artemisian side, that animalistic side offers.
0: I think the strongest animalistic response I've had, the clearest, like, yes, right now is the pizza response. (laughs) It's never like, maybe we should get a pizza.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I could go into Artemis and Apollo <laughs> ad nauseum. I love them. I use them throughout my classes to create really a balanced understanding of the values that we have in this over culture as well as what's needed in birth and how they're like two sides of the same coin and mm-hmm. each has a value. One's not better than the other. They're just different. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, this has been just a little appetizer. <laughs>
1: Uh, There's uh, a lot more in the book.
0: Going to my food analogies. (laughs) We can't
1: get away from the food analogies, can we?
0: And also, we said at the beginning, like you even talked about transformed by could be related to lots of other things. I'm dying to read the book in its entirety because the things that you're saying, my mind is just spinning hard right now. And I think probably everybody who reads it will tag on to different things, but you make a lot of sense. And it's sort of like this deep wisdom that you bring out about how we fit into the world and how we need to fit into the world or feel like we need to fit into the world. Yeah. And if you can change that perspective a little bit, then you can open up doors to you that you didn't know were accessible.
1: Yeah, I really see birth as an opportunity for profound growth, transformation, And really, that can happen in a lot of different times in our lives and lots of different moments. It just so happens that the moment that I'm really passionate about working with is around birth. But the lessons and the wisdom around growth and transformation are really universal.
0: Where can we find you online?
1: You can find me online at my website, which is brittabushnell.com. And my handles, I guess, on Instagram—I <laughs> think that's what they're called—handles on Instagram and Facebook are Britta Bushnell PhD. So I got that little doctor part put nice. on there, you know. I like it. And I have a "Transformed by Birth" Facebook community oh, that wow. people can join as well.
0: Fantastic. The book is called "Transformed by Birth." And I'm grateful that you came back to tell us more about it.
1: I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I loved the first time I came. It was so much fun, and I always love sitting with you or being at births with you. So oh,
0: yeah, thank you. I, mean, I always learn from you when I'm around you, even when I'm around people who've been around you.
1: Hmm.
0: Secondhand smoke. Yeah, it's wonderful. Hopefully,
1: a lot better than secondhand smoke. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in a positive yes, way. Yes,
1: in a positive way. Thank
0: you so much. Uh, pleasure. And at home, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you like our program, share us with your friends, leave us some feedback in your podcast app. And uh, if you have a suggestion, write to us at info and informpregnancy.com. Anybody who's done it knows you get a response and lots of our great topics come from you. Info at informpregnancy.com. Baby.